Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. As always, you can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, called The Gift of Life. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue to work our way through the letter to the Ephesians. And we are in a majestic chapter, chapter 2. Before we go there, I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to backtrack for a moment so we can see how Paul leads into this great material. So let's pray one more time. Fathers, we look at the gift of life through Jesus Christ and we look at our lives before we came to know you. And we contrast that with uh, our present state in grace in Christ. It's an amazing difference. It's from the, the death valley to the highest peak. That's how much our lives have been changed by this reality of being in Christ. And we're so grateful for that reality, so grateful for not only the present blessings that we possess, but as Paul will get to at the end of this section, for the future, the, the, the glory that you will show us in the ages to come. And we're grateful that there, there are ages to come that we know not too much about. We get little glimpses in the Bible, but we know one thing. We are going to be with you. And forever you'll be showing us the grace and kindness that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. That's our future, and that helps our present as we move through this world. where We're simply passing through. As we pass through the Lord, we want to do it with a walk that's worthy of the calling with which we've been called. So tonight, as we study your word, as we get into this uh, study, I pray you would add and take away from what's been prepared on the paper before me and that your word will be spoken and that your spirit will lead us and that we'll have receptive hearts and ears and that every person that you know every heart, Lord, would be ministered to in the way they need it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, backtracking to Ephesians 1, verse 17, Paul says these words. He says, and he's praying for them, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 17, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart, Ephesians 1, 18, may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now last week we ended with this idea that we should add a new prayer to our repertoire. And that new prayer should be, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you better, I want to know you better, and I also want to have a better perspective on life around me. I want to be able to see with your eyes and understand in the way that you want me to understand. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened. And that you might know what is the surpassing greatness of his power, 19, toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so this is what we possess in Jesus Christ. We possess this great inheritance The uh, letter to the Ephesians has been called the Believer's Bank and the Treasure House of the Bible. This is the Believer's Bank right here. This is the riches that you now possess in Jesus Christ 
far above everything else that we could talk about. But in order to appreciate riches, sometimes you have to go back and remember when you were poor. Amen? Do you sometimes do that on a, on a material level? You can say, you know what, for younger couples, and this may be a word of encouragement to younger couples, you have to start somewhere. Okay? So you start usually with a little apartment, and then maybe you move up to a condo, and then you, maybe you get a duplex, and then you get a single-family home. And then when you get older, you go back to the apartment because you don't want to mow the grass anymore. So everything goes full circle anyway. But, but you realize that one of the great things that you can do in looking at your life in terms of material possessions is you can say, you know what? We've come a long way, baby. Uh, my wife and I have been married 23 years. And you, know, you have time uh, as a younger person. You're, you're going to make more money than you do now. That may seem fantastic, but it actually does happen. You end up earning more money and, and things become a little bit more stable. Of course, you have to handle those things correctly. But you're able to look back and see where you've come from. And not that material things are the end all, but you can see that, spiritually speaking, it's good sometimes to go back and remember where you've come from. The Bible does allow for that. Even though Paul says, I'm no longer looking behind me, I'm pressing forward, the Apostle Paul did share his testimony from time to time. And he would go back and he would, say, he would say, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a violent aggressor, yet I found mercy. And that's my story. You know, uh, more than a quarter of a century ago now, I found mercy. I found that the bank of God is never closed. The ATMs are never broken. <laughs> you know, uh, grace upon grace continues to be extended to me in my life. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so Paul's going to go back and he's, he's going to talk about what we were before we became Christians. And the Bible's going to give us mankind's problem and the diagnosis of our condition. It's been said that Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 are a good summary of Romans 1, 2, and 3. So keep that in, your, in the back of your mind as you think about it. These three verses actually cover, in summary fashion, the first three chapters of Romans. And if you're familiar with the first three chapters of Romans, you know that what they do is diagnose the condition of mankind and shut us all up under sin and say we're all in deep trouble. And then Romans 4 goes into the grace of God. And then for you know, two glorious chapters plus, Paul celebrates the grace of God. And what he says in Ephesians 2 verse 1 is, you were dead. The story of the Bible is not uh, just that you were sick. Now the Jeremiah 17.9 does say that our heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I heard someone saying earlier, I think it was David Hawking, was saying that he met a man one time who said he's trying to trying to discover himself, trying to you know, get in touch with himself. And David Hawking said, why would you ever do such a thing? Talk about a colossal waste of time. Because the deeper you look into yourself, the more you're going to see a heart that's deceitfully wicked above all things, and you'll never be able to understand it. So why try? Why waste your time, right? So many cliches in our society about, I just want to you know, get in touch with myself. How do you do such a thing, right? The Bible's actually saying, get in touch with God. Who you were is you were dead, and this is how you were dead, in your trespasses and sins. Now, death has two primary uh, definitions. 
Death, death can be annihilation or separation. And the word for death in the Bible speaks of separation. And if you look at verse 1, you can see how this connects to the idea of sin. Sin and trespasses, think of Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Your sins have separated you from your God. What the problem is, is separation. So we were dead in our sins. Now our Calvinist friends like to say, based upon certain verses in the Bible, and we'll get to Ephesians 2, 8 in a future study, they like to say that you could not believe until God regenerated you. So what they say is, you get regenerated, you're born again, and then you believe. Well, I beg to differ. That's not what the Bible teaches. And they say the reason that they believe that is because you're dead and a corpse cannot respond to anything. I heard a story of a man who, you know, he was in a funeral home and nobody was around and he noticed, it was kind of eerie, but he noticed there was a corpse in a casket. And so just for fun, he went up to the corpse and he went, boo, just to see if he would get a response. Well, you're not going to get a response from a corpse, right? The corpse is dead. It's not going to respond to stimuli. If you go to a graveyard and you play a song with a trumpet for the next thousand years, unless Jesus calls those people with his trumpet, they ain't waking up. And so the people who look at this idea of death, they say, well, you see, since we're dead, there's no way an unbeliever can respond to God unless they are awakened. Now, I will submit to you in my soteriology, that's a big word for my study of salvation personally, I believe that obviously God does woo us by the Holy Spirit. I believe that a big part of the pie in the salvation process is God exposing himself to us. But think about it. When Adam and Eve died in the garden, God said to them, if you eat of that fruit, in the day you eat of it, you shall die. You shall surely die. Now when they partook of the fruit, were they physically dead? No. How did they die? They died spiritually. Now think about it. Right after they partook of the fruit, God is walking in the garden. And Adam says, I was afraid and I heard your voice in the garden. And that's why I hid myself from you. Could Adam still hear God even after he was spiritually dead? Yes. In Romans 1, uh, and we'll get into Romans in a future study, the Bible tells us just from general revelation alone, man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Even though people are spiritually dead, they still in themselves have what we call the Imago Dei, the image of God. Yes, we're fallen, but in the image of God, he made man, male and female, he made them. And in Genesis 9, 6, after Noah gets off the boat, God says, if any man sheds man's blood, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, he created them. Fallen man still has the image of God. He can see the external evidence of God, and in himself, he has the imago Dei, he has the image of God. He can respond to spiritual truth in general revelation, I would just, and I would even argue that he can hear the word of God and resist the Holy Spirit. So in what sense then are we dead? Or were we dead? If you're a Christian tonight, you were formally dead. And we're going to see the word formally a couple times in the next several verses. In what sense are you dead then? Well, I'm saying that you're not dead in the sense of annihilation. I think you can respond to the gospel, but you're dead in the sense of separation. You are separated from God by your sin. And unless you respond to the gospel and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will remain in that separation. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. In Genesis 9-6, after Noah gets off the boat, God says, if any man sheds man's blood, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, he created them. Fallen man still has the image of God. He can see the external evidence of God and in himself he has the imago Dei, he has the image of God. He can respond to spiritual truth in general revelation, I would just, and I would even argue that he can hear the word of God and resist the Holy Spirit. So in what sense then are we dead or were we dead? If you're a Christian tonight, you were formally dead. And we're going to see the word formally a couple times in the next several verses. In what sense are you dead then? Well, I'm saying that you're not dead in the sense of annihilation. I think you can respond to the gospel, but you're dead in the sense of separation. You are separated from God by your sin, and unless you respond to the gospel and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will remain in that separation. You know, technically, death means separation of the spirit from the body. To be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord. Death is separation. But if you are not born again, you will experience ultimate separation from God. You will be away from the glory and the grace and the presence of God, and you will not experience these blessings because you were not born again. Death is separation. So the world that you now see that's marching to the drum of the world and the world system, they are spiritually dead. It's not that they can't understand some things about spiritual truth but they can't properly appraise it, 1 Corinthians 2.14. We've touched on that verse several times. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. They are spiritually what? Appraised. He doesn't make them the higher echelon. He doesn't value them the way that you do and that I do. Why? Because he doesn't appraise things properly. So he's demoted God, elevated the flesh. He's separated from God. He doesn't see the seriousness of his situation. And he is dead in his trespasses and sins. Sin causes separation. Now the serpent came into the garden and said, oh, no, 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 that's not the case. You won't die. That's what Satan tells people all the time. You won't die. Oh, you won't go to hell. There is no hell. 
Well, Satan's going there. He'd like to continue to say there's no hell, but he's going to end up there. And so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is Romans 1, 19 and 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, all men because all sinned. So this is the human dilemma. And nobody is left out of it. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we sin because we're sinners. We are sinners by nature. That's why we sin. It's the natural proclivity of our fallen uh, situation inherited from the federal head in uh, theological circles. They like to call Adam the federal head of mankind. So everyone who's ever been born inherits the sin nature of Adam except for one person. His name, Jesus Christ. He did not have the seed of a man. He was virgin born. Mary became the vehicle by which Jesus would be born, but it was a supernatural birth. Therefore, the progeny of Adam was not passed to Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam, and he does what the first Adam failed to do by rescuing us, by being obedient to God, by facing the devil in the garden through Judas Iscariot. We've touched on those things. You... And I were dead, but we have been made alive. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, many people might say, well, doesn't God grade on a curve? Uh, J. Vernon McGee likes, liked to use the illustration before of man and uh, women's good works. And he used to say that it'd be something like this. If you're standing on the pier, and let's say that uh, everybody had an agreement that everybody would try to leap and try to make it to Catalina Island. And he said, now some people would get farther than others. You know, people who were hurting physically and maybe a little bit older wouldn't get as far as some of the younger athletic people, but everybody's going in the drink. You know why? Because we're not going to make it. There's too wide of a separation because the separation is perfection because God is holy. And we're not going to live up to it. Here's another illustration. Imagine that a group of people lined up and said, we're going to leap the Grand Canyon. How many people do you think would make it across? <clears throat> Nobody. Some people will get farther than others, but everybody's ending up at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Are you with me? That's the condition of mankind. Unless God intervenes, unless Jesus Christ's cross provides the bridge from sinful man to a holy God, we ain't getting there. We're dead Death is separation. Nothing can bridge the separation except God. Think of it this way. Imagine that someone was driving in a car and a little kid was going across the street and someone hit that child and it was manslaughter. The child dies. Now that person may go to jail, pay a fine, serve a 20-year prison sentence and get out of jail. But even if they're right in the law's eyes, even if the law says you've paid your debts to society and you can now be free, that person is not reconciled to those parents. 
because the, the debt that he owes to those parents is immeasurably greater than the debt that he owes to the state because that child was theirs and he killed that child. And the only way that there is going to be a restoration of that relationship, it's like a gulf is between them, and the only way restoration will take place is if those parents extend forgiveness to that man. He cannot do it from his side. They have to do it from their side. And God has been immeasurably offended by the sin of mankind. Because every day, God reveals his majesty, and the more we push him the way and suppress the truth and unrighteousness, God is sinned against every day, more times than we even know. People take his name in vain. They use his name as a curse word. They think thoughts that are displeasing to him. God has been sinned against, and so God is the one that provides the bridge, and he extends the hand of forgiveness. He says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ, Jesus, what? died for us. God put his love on display. And whenever a human being forgives somebody like God forgives, it's mind-blowing. We say, how could you forgive that person? Well, the only way is the love of Christ is being shed abroad in their hearts. And so in which, look at verse 2, Ephesians 2, you formerly, in times past, you walked. Now this is in the sins and trespasses in verse 1. The word walk is often used as a synonym for live. In the Bible, it describes a consistent lifestyle of a Christian, but it can also have a negative connotation. The word walk can mean just the way that you live, the way you conduct yourself. And in times past, you formally walked, how? According to the course of this world. The word for world is cosmos. It's used, I think, just about every time in the New Testament, it's used in a negative sense for the world system. The Bible says God so loved the world. He loved all the people in the world. We're all in the same boat. And the the world here in this particular context speaks of the system of the world. According, its leader is the prince, the archon in Greek, the ruler of the power of the air. Most agree the power of the air speaks of demonic spirits, and we'll dig that out in a second. Of the spirit that is now working, he is at work in who? in the sons of disobedience. Now, a son was always to be known for uh, following in the ways of his father. Jesus said, you, John 8, are of your father, the devil. And you do the works of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not abide in the truth. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. So the world that is following this prince, this ruler, and Jesus called him that, I think, in John 14, I think it's verse 30, the prince of this world, that's what's going on. The world system marches to the beat of Satan's drum. Whether they know it or not, whether willingly or unwillingly, that is the system of the world. You've been listening to The Gift of Life, Part 1 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you could listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Walk in Truth, our church, and the events and studies we have going on, then download our free Living Truth app in your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, this is a well-known passage by many believers, and 
what it essentially says is that salvation is by grace. What does that mean? Well, grace is a beautiful Greek word. We've mentioned it before. It's charis. And it speaks of the goodness and benevolence of God. And he is benevolent in so many ways, but his benevolence was expressed in the gift of his son. And we could also think of the gift of the Holy Spirit. But here, the gift of salvation is in view, and it is by grace. It's not by works. We're going to get to that when we get to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it is not by the things that you do that you get saved. It's by what's already been done by Jesus that you get saved. And what we do, we do as a result of our salvation. And that's what we always have to keep in mind. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. And then the rest of our lives, our Lord, thank you for this great salvation. How can I live in light of this great gift? Well, we're going to talk more about that. So invite a friend to tune in to Walk in Truth Keep us in prayer. We appreciate all of our prayer partners. We're excited to see what the Lord's doing through this study in Ephesians. We love you, and Lord willing, we'll be here tomorrow. God bless. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. And thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a partner of at least $5 a month? Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, called The Gift of Life. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.